Thank you, Ash, for reading the Bible for us. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Jason. I'm one of the student ministers here at Grace Point. Uh, what a privilege it is for me to bring to you God's Word today. Uh, before we begin, let me pray for us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come now to hear from your Word. We thank you that you give us such clear warnings. Help us to hear your Word carefully. Help us to examine our own hearts and help us to respond in repentance and faith. Now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in a great forest, you will find very tall trees. Uh, I remember traveling to the U.S. a few years ago, and we hiked in a national park near San Francisco. Uh, it was called the Mere Woods. Uh, the redwood trees there were the tallest that I've ever seen. Now, these tall trees, they give a picture of strength and maturity, don't they? But you know what? Loggers and woodcutters, they often don't cut those tallest trees. That's so strange. Those tall trees have probably twice the amount of wood, but they won't cut them. Why is that? Well, the reason is very simple. Tall trees often are rotten on the inside. They are hollow, they are dead inside. These trees are often blown over by strong wind. They appear to be strong, but on the inside, they are hollow and weak. In the same way, church, if we are not careful, our Christian walk can become like one of these trees. We can appear strong on the inside, but in, on the outside, but inside, we are rotten and hollow. And this is what we see in our passage today. In Hosea 8, God continues to pronounce his judgment on Israel. God is exposing how hollow Israel is. God is exposing their hypocrisy. Before we continue, let me give this caveat. When we hear about judgment and hypocrisy, some of us might have a very tender conscience, and we may already be so acutely aware of our sin. Now, some of us might be already thinking, I'm the biggest hypocrite. I deserve God's judgment. But if that is you, then may I say this. The reason why God is so harsh in Hosea 8 is because he is speaking to expert hypocrites. They have been hypocrites for so long. They have been repeatedly ignoring God's call to repent. And that's why the passage has the tone that it has right now. But may I remind you, God's grace is much greater than your sin. But if you are not someone who is acutely aware of this darkness in your heart, then may we examine our own hearts today. Because we share the same sinful human heart that first produced Israel's hypocrisy. We share the same tendency to wrap ourselves with Christian wrapping paper. Hearing what God says about Israel's hypocrisy will help us detect our own. And holding up God's word as a mirror will reflect the true condition of our own hearts. But church, if we don't heed what God is saying, we might remain in our hypocrisy, which is so deadly and so unfulfilling. You may know this feeling. We might think we can keep living there, but one day 
our hypocrisy will be exposed. The seed of our hypocrisy will one day grow into tall trees. But to change the metaphor, it will surely be cut down and become fuel for the fires of God's anger. As we look at Hosea 8, today's sermon will have three points. Hypocrisy exposed, hypocrisy judged, and heartfelt obedience. You can find them in your outlines. And church, as we hear from God's word today, I hope and pray that the Holy Spirit will convict you of this truth. That hypocrisy is deadly, but heartfelt obedience is life-giving. We're now at point one, hypocrisy exposed. Let me preface by saying that point one is our longest point. But let us dive right into the passage. Starting in verse 1, Hosea chapter 8 opens with God blasting his judgment against Israel. Look at verse 1 with me. Put a trumpet to your lips. An eagle is over the house of the Lord, because the people have broken my covenant and rebelled against my law. Israel cries out to me, our God, we acknowledge you. But Israel has rejected what is good. An enemy will pursue him. Right out of the gate, God isn't holding back. God is naming the hypocrisy straight away. Israel, you say you know me, but you have spurned me. You broke my covenant. You broke my law. And this is at the heart of their sin. They think they know their God. They think they acknowledge God. They think they worship God. But in reality, they are doing all sorts of things that store up God's wrath. We have to remember, when God first called Israel, He gave them the law, and He established His covenant with them. They were meant to live by the covenant, to love God with all their hearts, and by living out God's way, they were meant to show that they are God's treasured possession. They were meant to be set apart, set apart from all the other nations, and be special. But they have broken the covenant in many ways. And the rest of the chapter has many expressions of this. Now, we see at least two main ways that hypocrisy shows. And the first one is political hypocrisy. Come down to verse 4 with me. Verse 4. They set up kings without my consent. They choose princes without my approval. And we saw something similar last week. In chapter 7, Hosea says that Israel has removed a king and they chose a new king, all the while not asking God for direction. And I can't help but to think of King Saul. When God's people first asked God for a king to be like the other nations, well, they have essentially rejected God as king. But not only that, they have also taken their political fortunes into their own hands. We see this in verse 8. Now come down to verse 8 with me. We read, Israel is swallowed up. Now she is among the nations, like something no one wants. For they have gone up to Assyria, like a wild donkey wandering alone. Ephraim has sold herself to lovers. And verse 10, they have sold themselves among the nations. What this means is that when Israel was under attack, they built alliances with foreign nations. 
Israel sought the favors of Assyria. But you know what? In the end, it was the very same Assyria who will bring Israel to their downfall. Israel is said to be selling herself to lovers, and in the end, it is their first love that they have forgotten. They have forgotten God. And this brings us back to Hosea chapter 1, this imagery of prostitution and adultery. And so we see that in their politics, Israel reveals their hypocrisy. And at the heart of both of this is their rejection of God as king and their rejection of God as their first love. They didn't believe God is the only leader that they need. They didn't believe God is the only protector that they need. They have broken the covenant and they have rejected God as king. But not only that, Israel is also hypocritical in their worship and in their spiritual life. This is the second expression, their spiritual hypocrisy. And again, we see this in different ways. The first is idolatry. Come back to verse 4. We read the second half of verse 4. With their silver and gold, they make idols for themselves, for their own destruction. Samaria, throw out your calf idol. My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of purity? They are from Israel. This calf, a metal worker, has made it. It is not God. It will be broken in pieces, that calf of Samaria. There's so much to unpack here. That calf of Samaria is a reference to the two idols that have been more recently made. One in Bethel, one in Dan. And it reminds us of the golden calf in Exodus 32. When Moses went up the mountain, the people and Aaron made a golden calf. And they worshipped it instead. They couldn't bear with the Almighty God who was at the top of the mountain with smoke and lightning. And so instead, they made a smaller version of God. Something that was more accessible, more tangible. And if you ask Israel, of course they will say, Oh, we worship Yahweh. Look at him sitting comfortably on that stand. God's anger burns against Israel's idolatry. Apart from idolatry, Israel's hypocrisy extends to their worship. They claim to worship God, but they don't worship God in the way that God has prescribed them to. Now we see this in verse 11. Verse 11. Though Ephraim built many altars for sin offerings, they have become altars for sinning. You see, God definitely wants his people to make sin offerings. But God ordained that to be in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is in southern Judah, not in the northern kingdom of Israel. And so they built many altars in Israel in the north so that people won't go down to Jerusalem. and Otherwise, they might realize Jerusalem is the true place of worship. And so these altars... Israel is living in a shame, in a sham all along. And God condemns this with very clear wordplay. The more altars you build, 
the more sins you commit. And that's why God continues to say in verse 13, Though they offer sacrifices as gifts to me, and though they eat the meat, the Lord is not pleased with them. Lastly, Israel's spiritual hypocrisy is in the law. Uh, We read this in verse 12, and this is the ESV translation, verse 12. Were I to write to him my laws by the ten thousands, they would be regarded as a strange thing. Israel is so unfamiliar with God's law, all these political and spiritual sins are revealing the true condition of their hearts. They say they know God, but they don't really know God. They don't know God's law, and they don't obey God's law. Hypocrisy is revealed by their lives. And church, it's so easy for us to say this was only a problem for 8th century Northern Kingdom Israelites. But an honest look at ourselves reveals that we are not very different from them. In the 21st century, the Church of Jesus Christ may still struggle with hypocrisy. We too claim that God is King, but in reality we are not accepting God's Lordship over all aspects of our lives. We are claiming God is in charge, but really we are doing our own thing. Now, This kind of hypocrisy often shows in doing all the right things externally but only doing the bare minimum. I'll come to church. I'll join CG. That's only because everyone else is doing it. I will make sure on the outside I look like a good Christian. We say we know God, but our relationship with Him may be withering inside. And that's something only you can tell. This kind of hypocrisy often shows in having little interest in others not really interested in serving others, loving others, praying for others. But church, we realize we belong to a foot-washing servant king. If we truly think he is in charge, we will do the same. Our actions really reveal the true conditions of our hearts. Or when we think about idolatry and misplaced worship, we might not be carving out a bull and bowing down to it, but we may be making a version of God that is easier, that is more convenient. We might only hand over some areas of our lives to God. We might say, I will serve God if only it doesn't take up that much time. We might say, I'll serve God, but only if it doesn't cost my money, my career, my family. Or we'll say, I love God's people, but only those who are easy to love, only those who are similar to me, or only if they love me back. When we place parameters around what we are willing to do for God, we are not really seeing God for who He is. Our God is the true and living God, not some small idol. Pretending to live a pious life while actually worshipping a smaller version of God is a very deadly hypocrisy. Lastly, we might do all the right things externally, but we might be strangers to God's law. We might be more willing to spend hours watching Netflix 
then spend five minutes on the Bible app. And church, this is very close to home for me. Because in Bible college, it's dangerous for me to think that just because I'm studying God's Word, I don't have to spend any time in private devotion. All of college is devotion, right? No. In my head, I may know God's Word, but my heart may regard it as a strange thing. So this is what I really need to heed myself. Killing hypocrisy as a Christian is having a matching private life with your public life. It is devotion to God at church and also in your bedroom. To be so familiar with God's Word in public and in private. To see Bible reading and prayer every day as breathing in and breathing out. May God's Word be like a mirror. May we look intently into it and see the true condition of our own hearts. Isaiah 8 shows us hypocrisy is deadly. Let us now look at God's response. We're now at point to hypocrisy judged. God will not tolerate hypocrisy. God says in verse 5, My anger burns against them. And this is in the context of their idolatry, them making God into a small metal ball. They will reap what they sow. God says in verse 6, The calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. And this same concept is found in verse 7 as well. Hosea gives his famous proverb, verse 7, They sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. And this proverb sums up what every farmer knows. A harvest is directly related to what is planted. You reap what you sow. And if you put it into the context of sin and judgment, God is saying, if you play with fire, you will get burned. Verse 7 continues to describe the result of their hypocrisy. Verse 7, The stalk has no head, it will produce no flower. Were it to yield grain, foreigners would swallow it up. And so Israel is like a stalk of grain, even though it should yield fruit. There is no real wheat in it. Just like the tallest tree in the forest, inside it is rotten and hollow. And this is in the context of Israel selling herself to her lovers. And God's judgment comes through these very nations they are trying to ally with. Verse 8 sums it up. Israel is swallowed up. Now she is among the nations like something no one wants. You see, Assyria will become the enemy who pursues Israel. The mighty king of Assyria will oppress Israel. Through the fires of war, Assyria will consume their cities and fortresses. Again, this is, you reap what you sow. Ally with Assyria, you will get defeated by Assyria. Play with fire, you will get burned. This result of judgment shouldn't be foreign to Israel. They should have known this was coming. They should have remembered, you reap what you sow. This was so clearly stated in the book of Deuteronomy. 
If you have your Bibles, come with me to Deuteronomy 30. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 30. Because near the end of Deuteronomy, Moses laid out all the terms of the covenant before God's people. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15 onwards. We read, See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, and to keep His commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. Right before Israel entered the promised land, Moses spoke to God's people at length. All the terms of the covenant were set out. All the blessings and curses were laid out. And after saying this, he says, Now choose life. Now choose life, that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land. This is what we can learn about hypocrisy. The problem with Israel is not that they don't know this. They do know this. The problem is that they have allowed the little seeds of sin to fester. They continue to wrap themselves up in wrapping paper, doing all the right things on the outside. On the inside, it's all rotten and hollow. From the calves of Samaria that were made, all the way to the many hypocrisies in Hosea 8. One small seed of hypocrisy will inevitably grow. One small seed of hypocrisy can grow into uncontrollable weeds. So church, we ought to examine our own hearts. Are there any small seeds of sin in there? Are there small sins that we think are okay, that are small, that are insignificant? Perhaps we think we do so much for God, He'll be okay with my small sins. Perhaps we think those sins are so small that no one will know about them. But you see, church, one small seed of hypocrisy can grow into uncontrollable weeds. Little decisions of sin will accumulate and fester. And so we've got to nip it in the bud before it grows out of control. But more than this, we can also learn that hypocrisy cannot be hidden. Hypocrisy will one day be exposed. Israel says to God, I know you. But God sees right through their hearts. And so in the same way, God sees right through our hypocrisy. God sees right through our sin. Even if you think you can hide it from everyone, your life is bare before God. God's hatred for hypocrisy is consistent throughout the whole Bible. In the New Testament, we see Jesus condemning the same hypocrisy. And if the same hypocrisy is found 800 years after Hosea, 
it is no surprise that it is still here 2,000 years later. We read in Matthew 15, Jesus blasts the Pharisees. You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And Jesus is so right. What matters is your heart. May we not be found on the last day when we say to Jesus, Lord, Lord, only to hear him say, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And may we also take heed and not fall into the category of 2 Timothy 3. Paul describes some people as having a form of godliness, but denying its power. These very words, I never knew you, and having a form of godliness, but denying its power. These are scary words. Hypocrisy is deadly. And if you are sitting here right now, you can echo with what God is saying to you through his word. Then hear this. Come into the light. Come into the light. You don't have to remain in your hypocrisy. God promises forgiveness and restoration to all who repent. God offers his grace in Jesus Christ. And that's what we are going to talk more about right now. If our hypocrisy is so bad, what hope is there for us? We're now at point three, heartfelt obedience. Hosea 8 is so clear that in our hypocrisy, we have rejected God. We have spurned the good. And we were called to choose life, but we chose death. But the good news is, even if we have spurned God, He has not spurned us. After Israel claimed to be obedient, after they have broken the covenant repeatedly, God promises to establish a new covenant with Israel. We see this most clearly in Jeremiah 31. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there, Jeremiah 31. And God declares the new covenant. Deuteronomy 31, verse 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Church, this is the mark of God's grace. That even if Israel has broken the covenant, God is gracious to make a new covenant with them. It won't be like the old covenant. Instead, they will all know the Lord. There will be true knowledge of God. They will live and breathe a knowledge of God. Church, this is the cure to hypocrisy. In the New Testament, this new covenant has been fulfilled 
by Jesus. At the Last Supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Because of this poured out blood of Jesus, the new covenant has come. As Jesus has died and risen and ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit is poured out on all Christians. By the Holy Spirit, we can live a new life. And instead of secret sins, instead of a fake appearance and sinful hypocrisy, we can now live with genuine, heartfelt obedience. Church, may we rid ourselves of our secret sins. May we echo with the psalmist and pray, Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servants also from willful sins, that they may not rule over me. The Puritan Richard Sibbs said this, Let the Spirit think in us, desire in us, pray in us, live in us, do all in us. Labor ever to be in such a frame to be fit for the Spirit to work upon. In other words, now that the Holy Spirit is poured out, may we be aware that the Spirit lives in us. May we be spiritually minded, praying for the Spirit to be at work in us. May we live our lives with heartfelt obedience. Because church, hypocrisy is deadly but heartfelt obedience is life-giving. And as we finish, let me reinforce a few points of application. Number one, examine your heart. In Hosea 8, we have seen so many signs of hypocrisy. It has taken God so many chapters to get his point across to Israel. We have also heard many sermons on Hosea. God has also been giving us Warning after warning, we should also pause and examine our own hearts. Asking ourselves these questions. What secret sin may I be hiding? How is my public and private life different? What is something about myself that I don't want others to know? If you can immediately think of something, and we can go to number two, respond in repentance. Pastor Elliot called us to a real repentance a few weeks ago. If you have thought of something just now, may we resist the temptation to harden our hearts and brush that aside again. God may have been speaking to your heart for many weeks, and all those weeks you have kept him at arm's length. Yes, I do this, but, but, but God has forgiven me, so it doesn't matter. Or I do so much for God, I'm allowed to keep this. Or very simply, I don't really care to change. Church, God's anger burns against hypocrisy. And church, hypocrisy is not fulfilling. It grows into uncontrollable weeds and it will eventually be found out. Come into the light. And finally, choose life. Choose heartfelt obedience. Because of God's Spirit living in you, you can now live in heartfelt obedience. 
May we let the Spirit think in us, desire in us, pray in us, live in us, do all in us. And may we choose the life that God wants us to live. From Deuteronomy, to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, and to keep His commands, decrees, and laws. This is a much better way to live than to hide in hypocrisy, put up a fake appearance, and slowly wither on the inside. Church, hear God's word to you today. Hypocrisy is deadly, but heartfelt obedience is life-giving. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the clear warnings in your word. We thank you that you love us so much that you can't bear to have us keep living in hypocrisy. It is hiding, it is secretive, and it sucks true life out of us. May we come into the light. May we examine our hearts. May we repent of our sin and live by the Spirit. May we know that heartfelt obedience is the most life-giving. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.